Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, Fearless Army. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, Thank you for joining me on a very special Monday. Uh, There are people all over social media apps uh, chanting free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free speech is free at last. Uh, It appears that Elon Musk is going to purchase Twitter. And that has uh, set off a lot of uh, chattering among the media class and what impact uh, that will have on public discourse. And so we're going to do two things today. We're going to talk about Elon Musk uh, and him acquiring Twitter. And we're going to preview, talk about tonight's Celtics uh, Mets game that could be uh, the final elimination game uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, And so I'm going to unpack Elon Musk first, bring in Royce White to talk about it. Then I'm going to light a fire about the Brooklyn Nets and Ben Simmons and all the issues surrounding the Brooklyn Nets. Bring Royce back to talk about that. And then we'll take a little short break, get Steve Kim in here, uh, here from the Korean Cosell. Uh, so we're going to unpack things just a little bit differently because I'm, I'm literally having to react to the must thing in real time. And that's why I'm glad uh, Royce is going to be here to, to join me. me. Me and Royce and this show, we've been talking about Elon Musk and Twitter and some skepticism and some reservations we potentially have about Elon Musk uh, taking over Twitter. I got to sit here and say, though, right now, in the moment, today, Monday, April 25th, I'm happy. And I say that, and I've been reluctant to, to say this. I almost tweeted it out a few days ago. But ever since the speculation about Musk taking over Twitter, once that went public two, three, four weeks ago, uh, my Twitter feed started acting differently. I, I, I believe, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm whining and complaining, but it's just reality. Uh, my Twitter feed has been weird for three or four years, maybe longer, that uh, I can't grow followers consistently. I'll go a month or two not gaining any followers. I've gone some months losing followers. Uh, I will gain 1,000 followers and then lose 900 to 1,100 of them. Uh, And that's been going on for three to five years. And so, and again, I'm someone who's a pretty public critic of Twitter, but ever since, and however long the flirtation with Elon Musk has been going on, maybe three weeks, four weeks, I don't know. But ever since that day, 
my Twitter feed has been growing virtually every day. And it's the first time that's happened for a sustained period in years. And it made me think at the time, like, oh my God, Elon Musk is, maybe there's something here and people are starting to clean up and all the little games that uh, Twitter plays to shadow ban certain people. Uh, maybe whoever was, you know, screwing with mine uh, quit in preparation for Musk getting there because that's the threat. I'm, let's remove me from that conversation. But that's the threat Musk pose is that if he goes in there and starts looking under the hood and starts exposing the games that Twitter has been playing uh, to amplify certain voices, to diminish certain voices, uh, if he goes in there and looks at the, those algorithms and the deals that have been cut and just how unfair uh, Twitter has been, if he exposes that, that could make him very dangerous. Uh, and, and so I think based off of what he's tweeted, I think earlier today he tweeted out that, you know, he wants his harshest critics to stay involved with Twitter. Uh, and so he seems to be really pro free speech and that's why people are celebrating. I do think there's going to be people trashing Elon Musk, uh, whether fairly or unfairly. He's going to, he's now, because Twitter has been a tool for corporate media, the Democratic Party, the left, the LGBTQ, uh, for almost, you know, in my view, the last 10 years, uh, almost, maybe in, that was the plan from its original inception, I don't know. I will say that the first, I think I joined Twitter in 2009, and Twitter, the first four or five years, uh, was different than what it became in the aftermath of Black Lives Matter and, and you know, the LGBT people that started Black Lives Matter. Again, Twitter became the most secular, hostile place on the planet. And it'll be interesting to see if Elon Musk, who is an atheist, uh, if he can clean any of that up, if he can be a, a beacon, a, a light for truth, uh, that will be very interesting. But I'm just reacting in real time. I'm happy. I want to bring Royce White in uh, to find out if he's happy today, if he's any more optimistic uh, than he has been previously about Musk and, and taking over Twitter. Uh, Royce, welcome back to the show. Uh, how do you feel today about Elon Musk and Twitter? Well, I wore my NASA hat here to be a little facetious, so uh, that, that's, that's one indication. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I'm still pretty neutral about it, to be honest. Anytime free speech can get a win, I'm happy, right? I, I think if Twitter can become uh, a more open platform for all perspectives, all voices, but especially conservative voices, uh, I think society uh, takes a step in the right direction. Um, since I've become political, more political, or more on the right side of the aisle when it comes to these political issues, I've noticed that many of the replies from supporters of mine uh, find themselves in the more replies or show more replies category. And, and they seem to be the most benign responses. It could be something as soon as, uh, as simple as God will prevail or, or praise be to God or Jesus Christ is the way or any of those kinds of, of sentiments. And they find themselves demoted 
uh, in the in the algorithm or in the in the comment section. And, and you know, it's just blatant. Like I'll, I'll see three replies from people who are antithetical to nationalist populism, Republicans, conservatives, Christianity, whatever the case may be. And there'll be 13, 14, 20, 25 replies that are all categorized in the more reply section. So something definitely is going wrong there. And, and Twitter is an important an important institution. Um, and, and I think if it moves a step in the right direction, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. I've read reports that Donald Trump doesn't want to return to Twitter. Do you believe that? And would you like to see Donald Trump return to Twitter? Yeah, I'm, I'm all about the vindication uh, or the, the reconciliation or the healing or the righting of a ship that's gone wrong. Uh, so for me personally, I would like to see Donald Trump return to Twitter if that's something that an Elon Musk stewardship would allow for. Um, but I also believe that Donald Trump should continue to focus on true social and that we should, as much as we can, continue to uh, decentralize uh, social media uh, and, and Silicon Valley and, and the, the few in between oligarchs that have control over the public discourse, because it's one of the most important things we have in society of, of any society now and in, in any time, but especially now because the technology has made itself. So, so I'd like to see Trump return to Twitter, but I'd also like to see True Social continue to gain some steam, Gab, Getter, all of the, uh, the, the newer platforms continue to gain momentum and have people... Uh, spread themselves across uh, multiple platforms. Do you think that's realistic in terms of now that Musk seems to be taking over Twitter, why would people go on some of these alternative platforms? I think there's still good skepticism to have about Elon Musk. Um, And again, if he helps Twitter become a more open platform, great. Uh, the free speech issue is not the only issue. It's a it's a very big issue. It's a serious issue. I know it's an issue that a lot of people have found, uh, you know, to be central to their contention of the establishment. And I'm a fan anytime an individual shows that you could rail against the establishment. And I think Elon Musk has done that this week. And in this bid for Twitter, he basically showed people, hey, if you have the money individually to to uh, proposition a board of directors, you put them in a fiduciary spot where they they almost have to sell you the company. And I think they did almost have to sell them the company. He was offering $12 billion over the market cap, uh, as I saw it a couple of days back. So they almost had to sell it to him. And I like that he did that. He showed us something about the power of individuals when they get motivated and they have the resources and they have the ambition. However, anybody who wants to put a chip in your brain and build satellites that connect all of those chips, I'm very skeptical of you. And I think it's rightful to be skeptical of a person like that. Anybody who thinks that that's remotely appropriate, no, no pun intended, um, is, is dangerous. Uh, and you know, who is Elon Musk really? Is he, is he a a serial entrepreneur and corporatist monopolist? Is, is he a guy who is just a a pure innovator at heart and, and a scientist, uh, or, or is he in on it? (laughs) Right. And, And when you look at one of the hidden things in this conversation that, that I don't think many people are willing to, to talk about, even on our side, the conservative side, because of our previous frustration with Twitter as an institution, is data. Data, data, data. Okay, people don't 
fork over $48 billion out of altruism. That's, that's not a real thing. That's not how it works. Uh, he, he's, he sees something in here, I believe, that, that isn't all about free speech. And as we've come to know, many entrepreneurs and many people in the corporate world, uh, across the world, come up with great cover stories to, to justify their business dealings. And so I think our skepticism is justified with that. Um, the data is going to be the gold of the future in a technocratic world. Okay, our data is going to be gold in the near future when when the technocracy uh, finalizes its its stronghold on society. And that data isn't just going to be valuable to third party consumer based companies, brands. It's also going to be very valuable to world governments. Okay, and like I said before, Elon Musk is already right there at the table with two nuclear superpowers in China and America others as well. And, and is our data safe with Elon Musk? I don't know. Those questions are all to be answered. And I'm watching them with a very, with a very uh, interested eye to, to see how all those things play out. Some of those dealings will be done behind closed doors and, and, and under the veil of secrecy. And, and we'll have to continue to, to sort through that as, as, a, as a society and citizens. The one thing that he could do that would uh, make me even more optimistic that he's going to be a true disruptor as it relates to Twitter. And I know that there's probably great expense to this, but he, I, th I think he's already halfway joked about this. But if he relocates Twitter's headquarters away from Silicon Valley and into Texas or Florida, any place where uh, away from California, that's when I'll be like, oh, he's dead serious about this because I, I think the culture in Silicon Valley, Northern California, and the pushing of those values comes because it's headquartered there, they all work together, they all share those values. And so if he wanted to make a big, bold step that said Twitter's gonna be different than all the other social media platforms, we're actually gonna respect free, free speech and freedom and fairness and equality, he's got to move this. He's got to move those headquarters out of San Francisco and Northern California. I mean, I think it'd be a bold statement. Um, I want to hear him talk more about this transhumanist idea that he has. Right. I mean, I don't think people understand the implications of transhumanism and how serious people like Elon Musk and the many others are about it. Now, whether Elon Musk is trying to stand in the breach and be a, a safeguard or stewardship to the, the proliferation of artificial intelligence is something that I can't be sure of. Uh, but I will say that he stands to, to profit from the proliferation of artificial intelligence. And he had five kids, you know, in vitro. Right. I mean, you know, the, all five of his kids were artificially uh, created in, in, a, in, a, in a dish. And, and, and that implicates that implicates you when it comes to how you view reproduction, uh, the morality around reproduction, the value of life, the process of, of reproduction and, and ultimately the value of, of humanity and tradition. And so, you know, that all of these things are still in question. And, and he's not I'm just not a fanboy of any of these people. I think it's rightful and it's proper for us as citizens to take ourselves seriously enough and respect ourselves enough to question leaders and idols that are that are that that come into the spotlight.
Royce, you got to go ahead and explain what transhumanism is. And then I want to ask a follow-up question about the five kids through in vitro. But, but just for the layman out there, give us an explanation of transhumanism. Transhumanism is the idea that um, te- technology or science is, is growing or advancing at a rate so rapid that a near future will uh, call for humans to merge with technology for there to be a, a, a great symbi- uh, sim- sim- uh, symbiotic merger, you could say, between man and machine. And and Elon Musk, Westerworld, the HBO show, Westworld or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, the whole virtual reality, ready, ready player one scenario is 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 in that 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 idea as well. Uh, and, and, you know, Orwell's 1984 dystopia is, is what we're talking about. And Elon Musk has openly said that he's uh, in favor of that or, or maybe not so in favor. He kind of straddles the fence, but he goes, we're going there anyway. So uh, we might as well uh, get used to it. Right. And, and I just don't agree with that. I, I reject that completely. I think that there should be a counter movement in this country and around the world to slow the proliferation of technocracy and technology to a transhumanist place, because I really believe that transhumanism is a cover story for anti-humanism. And, and that when you, when you accept the proposition that, that man must become machine to, to survive, uh, to live in a meaningful way, it, it's a heresy against God. So I didn't know this. You say so many interesting things that I didn't know Elon Musk had five kids through in vitro. Did he was his wife involved in this or was it? I, I, I don't I can't. I, as a heterosexual man, I couldn't imagine if I was able and functioning. I'd rather have uh, kids through my insemination <laughs> rather than artificial. I, I don't I, I, I did not know this. Well, all five of his kids came by way of IVF, right? In vitro fertilization. Now, whether or not his wife has certain reproductive issues that that made it you know necessary for them to do it in that way or whether he may have some reproductive issues that made it uh, necessary for them to do it in that way, that's their personal private medical business. I don't know that. I, I didn't read that. I didn't see that. Um, I would posit that that Elon Musk favors, you know, these sort of uh, technocratic scientific advancements in, in all aspects of life. And that reproduction is just another, another part of that. And, and in this IVF process, I would believe that that there is some there is some uh, tinkering that you can do with genes. Right. And we saw that with CRISPR where you can pick the, the, the baby's eye color or, you know, you can decide to have twins if you want or, you know, all of these things are now possible in the reproductive process. But it, it gets really close to the line of eugenics for me. Right. And when I when I hear people mess with genes and, and reproduction and, and, and scientific artificial insemination and and the processing out of the bad stock versus the good stock. Uh, it gets right up al- along the lines of eugenics to me, and, and I'm cautionary about it. I don't know their specific situation, but but all five of his kids were were uh, IVF, uh, uh, you know, cases. 
All right, Royce, I need you to sit tight because I want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and Ben Simmons, uh, but I got to take care of some business. Then I'm going to start a fire. Then I'm going to come back to you. Uh, this summer, it's quickly approaching, and our friends over at Good Ranchers are here to help provide the great food that is needed to have a great time. They will provide the best beef that's been grass-fed and grain-finished, better than organic chicken and high-quality seafood that your local grocery store can't compete with. Good Ranchers only sources and sells 100% American meat. You order it, and they send it right to your door. It's just that simple. And guess what? You can beat inflation with Good Ranchers. Once you subscribe, your best price is locked in for life. Get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to save on the quality you've been looking for. Use my promo code fearless and enjoy your box of 100% American meat and your $30 savings. Order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Be a good soldier. Get you some Good Ranchers. All right. Uh, now that I've taken care of some business, I can actually start a fight uh, about the Brooklyn Nets. At some point this week, possibly tonight at the Barclays Center, the Boston Celtics will eliminate Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Steve Nash, and the Brooklyn Nets from the NBA playoffs. The Nets, who started the season with former MVP James Harden on the roster, were a preseason favorite to win it all. Pundits thought Harden, Irving, and Durant could, at least for one season, duplicate the mini dynasty Durant, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson achieved at Golden State. Instead, these Nets will go down as the biggest flop in NBA history. They finished the regular season just six games above 500, backed into the playoffs with a play-in victory over the Cleveland Cavaliers, and are down 0-3 to the Celtics in a first-round playoff series. Yep, I know exactly what I'm saying. I believe these Nets are more disappointing than the LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Los Angeles Lakers team that couldn't even qualify for the play-in tournament. The Lakers team was overhyped, a victim of foolish expectations. The addition of Westbrook and his cancerous attitude to any roster kills any legitimate shot at contending at a high level. I didn't find this year's Lakers team disappointing. Their failure was inevitable. The Nets could have been great. One man ruined the Brooklyn Nets. It ain't who you think. Bill de Blasio, the former lunatic mayor of, the New, York, of New York City, destroyed the Nets with his insane vaccine mandate for New Yorkers. The autopsies on the Brooklyn Nets are already being filed. The causes of death center on Irving's refusal to get vaccinated, Durant's poor performance against the Celtics, Nash's inexperienced coaching, and Simmons's refusal to even suit up. Here's a little collage, a collection of comments trashing the Nets. Is Kevin Durant a great, great player? He is, and he's been stifled by Boston. And I was going to go there. And, and let me tell you something. I don't want to badmouth the dude, but I'm. T I, I, see, you guys always talk about that championship stuff. I try to tell y'all, all these bus riders, they don't mean nothing to me. If you ain't driving the bus, don't walk around and talk about you a champion. If you riding the bus, I don't want to hear. Kyle
Kyrie Irving is box office. This brother deserves 50 million a year. I would never give him a long-term contract again. He cannot be trusted. You pay him one year at a time. I don't care how much money he gets, but you give it to him one year at a time. You know why? Because you got to make sure he's going to show up to work. This Here's minute. the deal. Got you. I'm not going to kill him for the egregious challenge because Kyrie lied to him for reasons that I can't figure. Kyrie knew he fouled and was like, hey, there's two and a half minutes left in a playoff game. Use our valuable challenge, even though I slapped the other opposing team's player right across the hand. Like, what Kyrie was doing here, but it is Nash's job to not, you know, just listen to his players blindly with 320 left in a five-point playoff game, but he did. I'll let that go. And I have been adamant that I think he's running Kevin Durant into the ground since Kevin Durant is playing 40 minutes per game since March 1st. Look, Bill de Blasio is being allowed to escape blame. The Nets are dying because of their lack of continuity. Throughout the entire season, the team was in a constant state of flux. Irving couldn't play in home games because de Blasio's stupid mandate. The Nets wouldn't let him play early in road games. Meanwhile, Unvaccinated players on opposing teams could visit New York and play. The rule never made an ounce of sense. It was authoritarian, illogical, and grossly unfair. It harmed people. It harmed Irving and the Nets. Irving's status played a role in Harden demanding a trade. Brooklyn's big three of Harden, Irving, and Durant, conceived in January of 2021, played 16 games together before dissolving in February of 2022. The Nets acquired Simmons in exchange for Harden. Nearly three months later, Simmons has yet to take the court for Brooklyn. It's difficult for me to blame Steve Nash for Brooklyn's failures. He's never had a chance to coach his full team. Durant and Irving are still learning to play with each other. Simmons is afraid of failure, a deadly sin for a professional athlete. He's never a member of the Nets if de Blasio acts appropriately. Establishment media will not make this point because it no longer speaks truth to power, it protects power. In the wake of the Nets failure, there's a major obvious takeaway for professional athletes. Avoid New York and other cities slash states controlled by politicians who believe government is more important than the individual. Irving and Durant need to escape from New York. They should watch the 1981 movie, Escape from New York, for some inspiration. The United States is at war with China and the Soviet Union and decides to turn crime-ridden New York City into a maximum security prison. It's quite similar to modern America. We're in a cold war with China and Russia, and New York is crime-ridden and run by prison wardens masquerading as politicians. But let me go back to the movie. Kurt Russell's character, Snake, is hired to extract the president from Manhattan. It's a thrilling movie. It ends with the president half-heartedly acknowledging, acknowledging the people who sacrificed their lives to save him and Snake embarrassing the president for it. The point is, smart people should avoid placing their faith in the government. Kyrie had every right to decline taking the vaccine. He's young and in ideal health. Only an authoritarian would pass a law punishing citizens for their individual medical decisions. The way New York City and the state of New York handled COVID should alarm its citizens, especially when you compare it to Florida. 
Had Durant, Harden, and Irving joined forces on the Miami Heat or Orlando Magic, they would have avoided New York's vaccine insanity and high taxes. They would be a title contender right now. Creative people and innovators are fleeing New York and California for Texas and Florida, and Tennessee for that matter. Elon Musk and Tesla abandoned California for Texas. Joe Rogan escaped California. I escaped California. Led by New York City, the state of New York has suffered record population loss since the start of the COVID pandemic. In a 12-month period, 3.5% of NYC's population migrated elsewhere. With the uncertainty of COVID and other viruses, why would any elite athlete choose to play in New York? The city's leaders have learned nothing from the pandemic. Eric Adams, the new mayor, is capable of repeating every mistake de Blasio made. Why wouldn't he? He won't be held accountable by corporate media. Bill de Blasio enacted a nonsensical policy and all season we've listened to sports pundits berate Irving and refusing for refusing to follow it. Irving stood on moral principle and sacrificed a season. He's the closest thing we've ever seen to Muhammad Ali. Too bad the media didn't rally to support him. Mm. All right, that's my fire. We're gonna circle back to Royce White. I wanna start, Royce, with my contention that athletes should be wary, leery, about playing in cities like New York that are controlled by hardcore leftists. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, first of all, I don't think I could lay it out any better than you just did with, with that fire. Uh, that, that was spot on in every way. This team, this Brooklyn Nets team has been railroaded by politics. And so for all the people who say they want to keep the sports separate from politics, think again, because the, like I said before, the politics are never off. And sports is politics. Uh, we could see that with the Brooklyn Nets and, and how this season has played out with the vaccine mandate. But let's not forget that their owner, uh, Joseph Tsai, is the owner of uh, Alibaba and tied in with the CCP. So we, we know that the politics is spread all throughout this narrative in, in a variety of ways. Um, Kevin Durant is, is a person that I know personally. I like him. Uh, I think he's probably the most dangerous offensive player in NBA history. Uh, when you're seven foot and you have a point guard handle and you shoot the three as pure as any player uh, in the game, I mean, he's he's a created player. There's no doubt about that. And, and I don't think the Brooklyn Nets should be very discouraged by how this season unfolded for all the reasons that you laid out. Um, they didn't get a chance to gel together. Kyrie Irving's season personally was railroaded unjustifiably. Uh, he, he's been vindicated. His stance on the vaccine mandate was 100 percent warranted. Uh, they, they weren't able to, you know, you can't substitute that camaraderie. And I think the entire sports media that's trying to rail against them, they are part of this corporate machine that wants us to think about things in shorter and shorter terms. Teams are built through culture, not talent. Teams are built over the course of learning to play with each other and be able to depend on each other when the, the toughest moments come. And for all things that have gone wrong with the next season, they lost all these games by only a few possessions. I mean, you know, they, they played very well, all things considered, I think. You know, the, the first game they should have won, okay, Durant and 
Kyrie missed a backdoor cut and box out that they they shouldn't have they shouldn't have missed. One of those one of both of them should have picked up Jason Tatum on that backdoor cut. So you know they played well. Um, the overall talent of the league is rising. I think because basketball has become such a, a a mainstay piece of our modern culture here in America in the inner cities with young black players, but players from all over the world. So the, the competition is getting a bit better uh, when it comes to the players. So you're not going to be able to put these teams together spur of the moment. They not get a chance to gel and figure each other out and, and, and be able to be successful in the postseason. It's just not going to happen. So I think this team was railroaded. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving should move if they can. Uh, if not, the people of Brooklyn and New York City should see the 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 uh, failure of the Nets this season, not as a as a, a problem from Kyrie Durant or any of the players necessarily. Certainly not Steve Nash, who is kind of a wokey himself. I mean, he's kind of fake woke himself when you, you get down to it. But uh, this, you know, he's a great basketball mind. He was a great basketball player. I don't think this is on him. I think this is on uh, the politics that surround the, the team and the state and the city. Let me transition to Ben Simmons because he's going to not play in game four. He's taken a lot of heat for it. Reggie Miller, all-time great player, tweeted out either yesterday or this morning that uh, Ben uh, Simmons has zero competitiveness. I mean, just trashed Ben Simmons. Do you think that's a fair criticism? Yeah, I mean, Reggie's a sellout. I mean, let's let's get serious. Half of these people that want to comment on these things, they're all establishment shields. None of them want to talk about the real issue. So what they do is they they get their checks signed to talk about these petty issues. And so I, I just don't really give them any any leeway or a voice at all. I mean, when I see that Reggie Miller made a comment, I'm like, you're a sellout on the shelf. That's it. Um, ben Simmons. I don't know what's going on with Ben Simmons. Something clearly is going on with him. Um, he's young still. He has all the time and all the skill to uh, become a very good NBA all-star, I believe. Uh, he, it has to be in his heart and mind to, to do that. And, and right now it doesn't seem like it's in his heart or mind to do that. Uh, I can't speak to that because I don't know him personally. I, I will say if it was me, I, I would be playing in game four tonight. <laughs> and and so and, and part of this, Jason, go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, I wanted Stephen A. Smith made a separate argument that Ben Simmons sitting out this entire season is going to be the impetus for NFL uh, NBA owners to try to push for some kind of pay for play model in the next collective bargaining agreement. When, when it's a tat, what Simmons has just done, and he wanted 20 million from Philadelphia, even though he didn't play, and, and the, all the players sitting out because of load management, Stephen A is arguing that NBA owners are gonna push for a pay, pay to play model. Do you think that's a good idea? Well, I think it's a completely dishonest idea. I mean, they, they would have to come forward and, and acknowledge and, and take the brunt of the of, of, of the, the criticism that they created this culture in the NBA. They themselves do their anti-competitive cartel like ownership and stewardship of the game of the NBA. And that's exactly what they've done. They've they've price set in the NBA and they've inflated the price 
for their own capitalistic gain. And, and they've created a culture that, that is so far from what we admire, let's say, about the college game. And that's of their that's of their creation. And, and so let, let me let me take it back a step if I can. The Ben Simmons thing is kind of personal for me because you could argue that I was the first athlete to bring this mental health conversation into the public square. And I'm not so old myself. I'm, I'm 31 years old and probably 26 in basketball years or as, as far as mileage goes. But, uh, you know, I'm 30 years old. I should be playing in the NBA right now. Uh, and, and I hear my name brought up often with Ben Simmons or all the players who talk about mental health. And me and Ben Simmons are not the same. Our skill sets are similar, right? Point forward. So we, we, we are two of the players that kind of revolutionized this, this modern uh, hybrid post uh, point guard model. Uh, LeBron was first, but then it was like Ben Simmons, me, Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, all of these guys who are 6'8", 6'7", 6'9", who can play the one tangibly, see the court and make the plays. We are not the same. And, and you know I'm as pro player as they come, Jason. I, I defend the players against the establishment often, okay? What I did was challenge a situation that was going on behind the scenes in the NBA, in the upper management and ownership suite, that was true and has been vindicated, that mental health was a problem and that the ownership and the corporate world were completely out of touch with the human condition and the implications of it on the game itself but on the, the culture around it, okay? And, and that they actually had to switch their policies, you know, ex post facto, uh, be, because of what I said and what I did. Ben Simmons' claim around mental health is much, much different. And all of these players' claim around load management is much, much different. And I make this point because the NBA said to me, well, you know, we just can't have guys get paid and not play. But they were okay with it if they were sitting NBA stars who they wanted to save for the postseason. This is of their own making. This is of their own doing. They thought individual owners around the league thought that they could cheat the system instead of being up front, speaking out about the overall length of the season and time commitment and mileage, mileage commitment on the players' bodies. And when you when you convolute so many lies and interests into one one league, one one game, one institution, you have breakdowns. Ben Simmons is a breakdown and a failure of the NBA culture. And uh, I, I wish him the best. I hope he finds his way back to the path of, of success. Um, but this this is of their doing. OK, so Stephen A is suggesting people they want to come up with a pay for play model. What would be your solution to fix this broken culture? Uh, I would say they need to cut the game, the, the season to 50 games. At least, if not 40. Um, you know, and, yeah. And That's so a, the, the, you cut it in half. Everybody takes a 50 percent pay cut. Do they? I mean, the game is anybody who believes that the game is driven by ticket sales and physical attendance doesn't know how the model works in the first place. It's all driven by TV. It's all driven by TV contracts now. I think if you shorten the season and you make the games more competitive, you make the games more realistic and genuine in the competitive aspect, that more people will tune in uh, than, than they realize. Okay, so there's a ceiling out there. There's an imaginary ceiling that they've put on themselves to say, we can't gain any more, um, uh, we can't gain any more viewership than this. 
Uh, and that's been worked on by them and the media, the media industrial complex around them. My claim is that it's false, that if they actually do the work to, to, to weed out all of the BS bureaucratic red tape and, and, and uh, leadership around the game, more people will watch it like they do the NCAA and that the, the viewership and the TV contracts will get better and people can still be paid reasonably. Maybe they don't get $215 million for four years. But again, that was a hyperinflation of the of the price setting from a cartel industry. So. I don't have time to go all the way into this, but I, you've just led me to make my suggestion that I've been arguing for a long time. Uh, and, and so I don't we ain't got 15 minutes or 10 minutes to spend on this. And we 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 need that kind of time. But I think. Shortening the season. And then because of what's gone on in college sports with this NIL name, image and likeness deal, I've always argued that the NBA should basically adopt the best players in college basketball, pay them some sort of name, image and likeness, have some kind of summer league uh, that is televised with the top college players. But basically, you're going to pay these guys to stay in college and build their brands so that they come to the NBA at 20, 21 years old with a following the way Magic Johnson and Larry Bird did. But you figure out a way through name, image, and likeness to reward the, the top players to stay in college. And, and instead, to me, what, what we've sat around and done is we've allowed the NBA to lose, I don't know, probably 40 million a year on the WNBA. They're basically gave name, image, and likeness deals to female players who can't draw flies at a <laughs> SHIT storm. Flies want, and, and so th they've invested in a product that no one wants to see, no one's interested in women's professional basketball, it's a welfare sport. They could have taken that money invested it in their own players who drive all the te uh, television ratings, have them sit in college and play the 30-game college schedule for three or four seasons, financially reward them for that, let them come during the summer and do an internship for you where it, you basically put on some kind of 12-game summer league package of the best amateur players. That generates money. You see how we watch the summer league now. Just think if it was the best. Co but anyway, that, that's the NBA should be because I agree with you. I don't think they're tapped out. I don't think they're capped in, in terms of audience. I think they've given up on an American audience and given up on putting out their best product. They had this dream of getting some blockbuster uh, deal from China. And, and Daryl Morey kind of <laughs> slowed that process down, but just reaction to my pie in the sky solution. I think there are a lot of things that could be done. Um, I kind of like the women's game. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, some of the women are more fundamental than the men. Now, are they ex exciting to watch? Absolutely not, because the athletic physical differences naturally are what they are. Um, the real truth is 
these guys have all the money in the world to invest in whatever they want to invest in. The question is, do they have the ambition and motivation to actually grow the game of basketball in a stewardship sort of, you know, fiduciary cultural way or do or, or are they rent seeking? And, and the NBA ownership and the people around the game and all the tangential sponsors have done to the game of basketball what they plan to do to American culture at large. They plan to leech onto it and seek rent from it. They're not interested in true, genuine growth and, and, and development. And so you're seeing that the NBA game is sort of in this inflationary period, uh, just like our U.S. dollar. Mm. That's a great analogy, great way to end the segment. Thank you, Royce. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the notifications, hit subscribe. If you're listening over Apple, give me that five-star review. Uh, leave a message or a comment. Uh, Steve Kim. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to go out to uh, the Korean Cosell on a very, very busy uh, Monday and newsy uh, Monday with this Elon Musk. So, Steve, I got to start with Musk because I, I got to throw you a bit of a curveball, it appears. <laughs> Uh, from all reports and Elon Musk tweets, he, you know, he's saying he hopes everybody sticks with Twitter, even his harshest critics. Uh, sounds like it's a done deal. Elon Musk is going to acquire uh, Twitter. Royce and I uh, just talked about it a little bit. I want to talk about it with you as well, and then we'll transition in back into the nets. But uh, did you think Twitter will be demonstrably different <clears throat> with Elon Musk than the previous iteration? I think that remains to be seen if he's gonna be so open to his critics having this form that he owns. But you know what, this has become the new version of Canada in a sense that, go back about six years ago when Donald Trump was running for president, at first it was a joke, no one took it seriously, then all of a sudden was like, huh, it's kind of in this race. Huh, maybe you need to take this a little bit more seriously than we had. Then it became a threat. Then it became, if Donald Trump gets elected, I'm going to Canada. Guess what? Nobody went to Canada. Nobody went anywhere. No one got their passports out. No one booked the one-way flight. So this whole blue check brigade that is really melting down like Chernobyl is talking about, I am going to leave Twitter. Here's the issue. These people are addicted to it. They are, and they love, no matter what they think about a particular platform or the impact that it has on whether who owns it or doesn't, it becomes very, very alluring to have an audience that, that will listen to every word you say, will become an echo chamber to your beliefs. So in my view, while everyone's upset about it, at the end of the day, when you, when you have a certain amount of followers, that becomes very, very intoxicating the image or the uh, mirage of influence, I just don't see that many people leaving it. Again, this is Canada. Okay, there's a difference between leaving and a different tone over Twitter. Different 
maybe a lack of emphasis on t- rigged up Twitter lynch mobs. And, and so Twitter, and again, I, I've made this argument previously, like, hey man, Twitter doesn't make stars anymore. And it used to be the driving force. Sean King has got to pretend that he's black for the last 10 years because of Twitter. Uh, uh, Remember, DeRay McKesson got to run around in a blue vest and pretend he was going to be mayor of Baltimore because of Twitter. These guys have virtually disappeared. Jamel Hill became this mega personality and star because she tweeted out, you know, Donald Trump's a white supremacist or hangs. I, I can't remember what it was, but I just don't see Twitter having that kind of image making impact right now, because I think so many people have figured out like, man, this thing is rigged up. It's, it's not authentic. Uh, but but I, I'm wondering if if any anything about the tone of Twitter, how far left it is, how afraid of Black Lives Matter people are over Twitter. <clears throat> will, will any of that change under Elon Musk? I certainly hope so. This is what has always disturbed me about Twitter. It's not even the performative wokeness of many of the people. Uh, it's that if you're lefty or righty, conservative or liberal, the guidelines and the boundaries for what you can and cannot say have been very, very unequal. And, and people have pointed this out. And, and literally, if you look at the accounts that are silenced or flat out deleted. I know Libs of TikTok went through that before that account was reinstated recently. It's always a battle that they simply are not allowed to toe the line the way the other side is. And that's the one thing, look, I don't think the issue has always been about free speech. I I don't, when it comes to Twitter, it has been about the suppression of a particular side of the street from a political and social and cultural standpoint. Now that remains to be seen. Again, it's really easy to come into a new business or to become a new owner, set up shop, and say that we're gonna have new guidelines, I'm gonna be so benevolent, and anything goes. Easier said than done. I mean, look, I'm actually still amazed that this happened because 10 days ago, it seemed like a lark. Five days ago, it looked like the deal was dead in the water. Then over the weekend, it twisted back or turned back to the other side. Um, you know, the issue is, I think TJ Moe tweeted about this today, this isn't about the revival of Twitter. It really means that some of the other alternative platforms that have had various amounts of success, and some of them weren't even allowed on the Apple um, app, uh, app list, they are now pretty much expunged. Because if Twitter has become now this area for free speech, where conservative messages can now be amplified with the same volume and intensity as the liberal side, well, then you don't really need another platform at that point. But again, let, let's revisit this discussion in about three to six months. One thing I've been arguing and, and kind of argued it last week is that this whole woke era maybe is starting to come to an end that there's starting to be consequences from CNN Plus uh, crashing and burning in three weeks uh, to now Twitter being overtaken by Elon Musk, who doesn't seem to be captured by the left. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, Steve, I can't remember, you know, the days all flow together. I can't remember if I talked to you about this last week or yes. not. But 
is the woke era, is this another sign that maybe we're going to get to the other side of the woke era? Because that Twitter to me has been the leader, the headquarters, ground zero, Mecca for the entire woke movement. And now it's just been overtaken by one man who doesn't seem to be on their team. Yes, look, we talked about this about four days ago. CNN Minus, which lasted a little bit less than New Coke. We talk about uh, Jamel Hill, who's killed off more shows than The Grim Reaper. The ratings of, of Bomani Jones, which are <laughs> shorter than Muggsy Bogues. There seems to be a trend. And look, I know we're going to segue into this, but even some of the criticism of the NBA and particular players, um, I don't think would have been able to be stated two years ago. So am I encouraged by it? Yes. But these are just battles. I don't, if you want to call this a war, uh, I don't think it's time to plant that American flag uh, like the American Marines at the Iwo Jima quite yet. But am I encouraged by some of these trends? Absolutely. Well, I'm going to tell you why I, I, I'm, and I may regret saying this, but uh, Saturday Night Live this weekend, I don't know if you caught this, but they cracked some Joe Biden jokes and Kamala oh, Harris what? jokes. What? It, it blew my, yes, it blew my mind. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I've been talking about this forever, but Bill Maher yes. over the weekend, I just saw, he was quoted saying, look, man, critical race theory and this racial agenda is being promoted in schools. Let's quit lying about it, blah, blah. And so I'm starting to see people on the left abandon positions that, again, were all driven by Twitter. We all have gone through nearly a decade, or let's, Trayvon Martin happened in 2014. Since 2014, you couldn't say over Twitter like, hey man, uh, the police aren't out here just randomly executing the genocide against black people. If you said, oh, you're an Uncle Tom, here comes all the little coon, blah, blah, blah. You couldn't have a legitimate discussion about race in America and survive in a public media space uh, because of Twitter and, and the whole corporate media structure. I, I, I'm just, I'm gonna regret it, but I, I think I'm seeing signs of surrender. I'm seeing people like Bill Maher become out and out traitors. Uh, you know, and really all they have left is climate change. <laughs> Chase, Jay, and to expound upon everything you said, I was absolutely stunned when I believe the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, last week said, BLM, you're hypocrites. Do we care or not about black lives? Look, I don't like any of his policies. I still don't know if he's a negative or positive force, although I have my feelings. He's still trying to push, I believe, the mask mandates. I don't like a lot of his policies. But the mere fact that the mayor of New York, who is a black man, flat out called BLM, that to me was startling. And it's something that I said, huh, maybe the tide really is shifting. But again, let's revisit this. This could all be... Um, a lot of gamesmanship leading into the midterms. I, I want to see where the country stands when those votes are actually counted in a, several months. All right, you brought up Eric Adams. That's a perfect segue uh, back to 
the Brooklyn Nets, Kyrie mm-hmm. Irving, Kevin Durant, Steve Nash, Ben Simmons, they're all under attack. Steve, what do you think of my argument that Bill de Blasio and the vaccine mandate is the real culprit, is the real person who ruined uh, the Brooklyn Nets? Yes, very, very valid. And, And to that writer who posed that question about should Kyrie have gotten vaccinated, uh, hey, buddy, Kyrie Irving is not just an athlete. He's not just here for your entertainment. Remember those tweets, Jason? Remember, you couldn't criticize any athlete at all. And and it's funny. Let's say Kyrie Irving decided to sit out. Let's say he got vaccinated but decided to sit out because he was in support of BLM and he still didn't like what was going on culturally with the police and his people, and he missed every single game. Would that writer have dare asked, Hey, do you think Kyrie really should have sat out all those games in support of BLM and police brutality? This is the agenda. I find it hard to believe, Jason, that every single media member, whether it's television, radio, newspaper, print, or internet, has the exact same belief about the vaccine. But it's almost as if they are pushing a message for two reasons. Number one, it's the only agenda they're allowed to push. And number two, and I understand this, they want to keep their job, but it goes to show you, and I saw this firsthand a couple years ago, you're not even allowed to have a dissenting opinion. But uh, yeah, that that is maddening to me that Kyrie Irving, uh, two years ago, you weren't allowed even to ask, why are you sitting out games? But there seems to be a license now, but only if you wrap it around the vaccine or pro-vaccine mandate, that type of cause. And that's where I think, again, This is why people simply don't trust the mainstream corporate legacy media nowadays. Yeah, I love how the media, oh, we're speaking truth to power. No, And here you have a policy that is, is so it's the policy is just ridiculous and stupid. People, I could go play for the Phoenix Suns and, and be unvaccinated and come play in New York, but Kyrie Irving couldn't. This was so stupid, hypocritical, illogical, senseless. This guy should have been getting dragged all year, de Blasio and then Eric Adams for not tearing this thing down as soon as he took it, took office. But instead, no one, everybody just went after Kyrie Irving. And, <laughs> and again, I understand Kyrie Irving's a millionaire and all that, but you got a chance to confront a, an illogical, immoral, stupid government action, and instead, let's pick on Kyrie Irving. Jason, here's the other thing. Two years ago, it was just, these guys are more than athletes, and this is beyond basketball. It's more important than just games. Well, Kyrie had a personal belief that he thought went above himself as an individual because he made it clear, hey, I'm not just sitting out to sit out. I'm actually making a stand for a lot of the public service workers, the truckers, the fire department, the police officers that don't have a choice in the matter. It's amazing to me how the lack of self-awareness that a lot of these media members have, that I guarantee you that if you go back to the archives two years ago about how there was a mass defense of any athletes that sat out games for any other reason or any reason, or they would threaten a boycott was defended. Now you have Kyrie who clearly made his point that, hey, I'm doing this for A, B, and C, but because it goes against a certain messaging, then the attack dogs are on. This is why 
Um, if you really want to do honest journalism, I almost think you cannot work at corporate legacy media at this point. You can't. Uh, Steve, I think you're old enough to remember the movie Escape from New York. Yes. Uh, I, I, I always hate dating myself this much. The movie came out in 1981. Uh, but I honestly believe professional athletes should start thinking like Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, other content creative, innovative people, and, and should abandon New York and other liberal run cities because you just never know what these politicians, what they're gonna come up with next. Again, I lived out in California for 10 years. You still live out there now. The taxes are ridiculous because they believe the government is the solution for everything. Uh, and, and so I, I look at how New York has been decimated and, and I just, it's not the destination anymore uh, because of the political oppression. What do you think of my argument that, you know, Kyrie and, and, and Kevin Durant have made a gigantic mistake attaching their career to New York? Yeah, they, they probably have. I'm not so sure they ever thought about it. The, the, the word used to be, remember the belief, Jason, especially for NBA players, that you wanted to play in a certain market. L.A., New York, Chicago, Miami. When they made this decision, I'm not so sure that they ever envisioned New York or specifically the Big Apple being what it was. Uh, that movie that you re referenced with Kurt Russell years ago, it used to be just a movie. <laughs> now it's a documentary. OK, it seems to be a real life experience. <laughs> and, you know, if you're an athlete, there's, there's certain things you have to look at. Number one is, do I like the climate there? Do I like the team? Do I like the organization? Do I like the weather? A lot of athletes, and this is why Texas and Florida are so popular, do I like state taxes or not? And, and now you look at a guy like DeSantis, and this is not a political statement, but when you go to Florida, and I was in Florida a couple of weeks ago, it was like being in America. Nobody really wore masks. People were living their lives. And professional athletes, for the most part, have loved South Florida for years. As for New York, there seems to be an urban decay going back. And I'm not saying it's the height of, of the 1970s with the, uh, the power outage they had in Son of Sam. But this is going to be a very controversial statement. But I'm fearless. I'm going to say it. Can we bring back Giuliani? I I'm being dead serious because I, I know people in New York that have lived there for years they're pining for Giuliani. They don't like what's going on. And, and a lot of the crime is flat out not reported by the corporate legacy media. And there are plenty of content creators like Ock Nation News, I'm a big fan of. On a daily basis, he can literally do New York stories. Forget DC, forget Philadelphia, forget Chicago or Baltimore. He could do it on New York alone. But for some reason, it's not covered we know, but you just can't say it. Uh, let's talk about the sports side of this or a, a bit more about the sports angle of this. I'm arguing, Steve, you, you heard me say it earlier in the show, that the Nets are a bigger disappointment mm. than LeBron's mm. Lakers. Wow. And I get that LeBron's Lakers didn't even qualify for the play-in tournament, but I think there were misguided expectations as it relates to the Lakers. I never saw them as a title threat. You add Russell Westbrook to any team, he's a cancer that's going to metastasize. Uh, and so to me, 
this Nets team, Harden, MVP, and I know Russell Westbrook yep. was MVP, Kevin Durant's been MVP, and Kyrie Irving, that trio to, to get flamed out, potentially swept <laughs> tonight, I think this is more disappointing than the Lakers and the most disappointing team in NBA history. Jason, comparing what is a bigger disaster, the Lakers or the Nets, it's like asking what's worse, gonorrhea or syphilis. They're both terrible. I mean, we're talking about degrees. We're talking about, you know, what are your personal preferences? How long does it last? But, yeah, the, the Nets, the Nets, it was amazing to me. I, I never understood why Kyrie left LeBron. I know we have been very critical of LeBron, but he and Kyrie worked. In fact, when those two were together, they beat one of the greatest teams of all time in 2016 that won, what, 70 regular season games. People were about to coronate them as the greatest team ever. And Kyrie, the last two, three games, absolutely did a number on Steph Curry. It wasn't broke, yet he tried to fix it. Go back to KD. Now, KD had a great run. People kind of stigmatized his two titles because he was part of a super team. Go back, though, to one of his last years at Oklahoma City where they blew a game late. He never got over that label of Mr. Unreliable. And remember, he got very upset at the local press out there in Oklahoma City, and he wanted to prove, I can be a number one guy. That's proving to be a little bit shaky at this point, and I think every year this happens, Steph Curry looks a little bit better. But let's get to Ben Simmons. The fact that Ben Simmons was supposed to be this panacea. You know what, Jay? Uh, I miss the good old days when Ben Simmons would only pass up open jumpers. Now he's passing up whole seasons. I again, this this is this, but this is a this is a byproduct of the Adam Silver quote unquote leadership, where you're allowed to miss games. Where in fact, it's not only excused, it's glorified. What did you think you were going to correct? Now, to be fair, it's a back injury. I'm not saying he's faking it, but there comes a juncture and a point in time. When you cry wolf so many other occasions, you have a real lack of credibility. And we go back to what Reggie Miller tweeted last night. Wow. I loved it because it's some normalcy where a guy like Reggie Miller or any media member or Stephen A. Smith, to his credit, can flat out say, no, 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 no. You're not using mental health. We don't care about you as a person. You're paid to play basketball. We're not asking you to go into a coal mine. Okay, we're not asking you to dig ditches for a living. You're not doing anything important. What happened to the honor of actually living up to your contract and your professional responsibilities? Jay, I love the fact that Reggie and Stephen A. finally acted as if, you know what? These athletes are not exalted individuals. Let's just call them out for the stuff that they do. To me, that was a big step. Steve, great job as always. Where you at, out in Las Vegas? No, no, I am actually in the, the palatial studios of one Mario Lopez. We're going to be taping our show here. Uh, by the way, my abs oh. have never looked that good. That, that is certainly a caricature. That's my goal. Mario always has, though. Mario always looks good. But we're going to be doing the show, but I, I did not want to miss Monday. I'll be in Vegas later this week, but I will be with you uh, throughout the week there, Jason. All right. I know the uh, massage parlors are very happy to hear you're coming. 
have a have a good time in Las Vegas. Uh, get your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com. Uh, fearless with Uncle Jimmy and the approval rating. Uncle Jimmy wants to talk about Kevin Durant, so that's what we'll do the approval rating on. It's my obligation on hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for some Uncle Jimmy. Uh, Jim, you are uh, the biggest movie buff I know, uh, but I think I've come up with a movie analogy that you, you maybe, it wasn't from the Set It Off collection or anything like that, so Escape from New York, does that do anything for you, as Kurt far, Russell? As far as what? Well, just, you know, you've watched more movies and you can I mean, quote you, more movies if, than anybody. If you're trying to make me make an analogy as far as my boy KD. If you try, or the Brooklyn Nets, but go ahead. Say, if you're trying to make the analogy that, that, that maybe KD and Kyrie Irving need to escape from New York yes. because it's done turned into a, they're letting the inmates run the asylum, Yeah. if that's what you're trying to say. You see my, you see our look, man, Kyrie's I, I just, tearing down New York. That's, that's, He's like Rambo in New York. Look, anyway, man, Kevin ahead. Durant ain't got nothing to do with that, man. Stop it. It's not his fault. Come on, man. I can't let you do that. Come on. You, I thought you were about to make some other movie analogy. Well, no, because you you said that. But if I had to make the analogy yeah, go between ahead. what's going on with the Nets, I would compare. Don't, hold Before you name the movie, you must be able to quote some scene from the movie before you make the analogy. Okay. Or, or when you make the analogy. I got you. Okay, go ahead. I got now, you. Go I got you. Because I would like to make the analogy New York Nets to one of my favorite movies, Boys in the Hood. Mm. Okay, yeah. and meaning that Kyrie Irving, yeah. that's a doughboy. Okay, <laughs> he putting in that work. <laughs> ben Simmons is Ricky. He the one that got hurt in the end. Okay, <laughs> and KD is Trey. Meaning they was getting ready to go put in work in Boston. <laughs> they riding in the old school, and KD sitting in the back talking about, 
Doe, let me out. <laughs> let me out, Doe. I can't do this. <laughs> he wasn't about that life, man. Come on, man. That's not bad, Jim. That, that's not bad. That's not, that's, that's Kyrie, not. he about that life. You know, <laughs> Doe boy went and put in that work. Let me out, man. Uh-uh. Let me out right here in the middle of Crenshaw. I can't do this. Come on, man. Really? Oh, I hope you I watch, go, man, boy. Before, yeah, before you get started, because yeah. I know what you're going to do. I mean, if the, if you don't give it up for the most fearless member of the fearless army, that's Royce White. Hey, man, listen, first of all, if I may, Royce, young bro, listen, listen, listen to old school here, man. When you in a situation and somebody asked your opinion, especially this guy, that don't mean you tell him the truth, man. <laughs> what do you mean? What is hey, he? man, look, does he not know that you have a picture of Reggie Miller on your oh. wall? <laughs> does he not know that you and Reggie, you, 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 got a, you got a man a man crush on Reggie? His jersey does hang in my apartment. You said, uh, well, what do you think about Reggie Miller's comment? He said, I think Reggie's a sellout. <laughs> Dude, your face was like this. <laughs> you was looking like, do I cut him off right now or not? <laughs> and then you said, I can't believe this, you said, the WNBA is a welfare sport. Yes, it is. Hey, man, he looked and said, I happen to like the WNBA. <laughs> I'm like, damn, Royce, I really did like you. I, I'm going to translate that comment to uh, Royce, perhaps, and again, I'm just speculating. I'm halfway joking. Maybe he's dated a WNBA player or something, and he had to say that because he, he – People have been looking for the person who likes the WNBA, and I guess we found him. It's Royce White. I disagree with you. Royce White is a man. Yeah. <laughs> WNBA. Stop it. They got, they got some dimes. Skylar Diggins. Okay, I agree with you. Come okay. on, man. Let's anyway. go, man. Uh, all right. Let's get to our – you wanted to do Kevin Durant. I probably wanted to do Kyrie Irving, but I deferred to your wisdom. Kevin Durant's our approval uh, rating uh, person today. Uh, job performance, Jim, I, I would – how can I be lowering job performance? I got him at an 11. How you got him higher than me after what you just said? He's just compared him to Trey. I, Trey was the star boys in the hood. Look, man, I'm just the real I, – I, back in the day, I love KD. When, when KD was at Texas, come on, man, you can't say that. We can't say that we thought that KD wasn't going to be the one. Okay, he, he just let us down. I like KD, but KD is a mama's boy. Okay, and that's it. And, and, and that's all he going to be. So I, I can't knock him for that. Ma, Mama Durant did a good job, man. Come on. Get a 16. See, I'm, giving, I'm giving a little bit more work better than you are. Come on, man. Uh, character. Uh... I've, I, I think he's a high-character person. I got him at a 20 on character. Okay. In this instance, as a character, I give him a 25. Because whether you – don't forget, he's, he's referred to as an OG. He's one of the original OGs that had the original burner, the original burner account. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember that. Yeah. He had the original burner account. A lot of people don't know this, man, but Kevin Durant is the spokesperson for uh, Nestle Crunch Bars. Have you ever seen the back of his neck? Okay, I mean, the brother is really, you know, have you, I mean, he always tearing his, his Achilles, right? But have you, have you looked at the legs on this boy? I done seen bigger legs on a coffee table. 
Okay. Hey, man, Kevin Durant got to fight a Popeye in the legs of olive oil. Come on, man. He's a character. <laughs> Let's go. I'm sorry, man. I had to go with all that. Uh, authenticity. I think KD keeps it real. I think he keeps it very real, to be honest with you. He, you know, kind of lets his feelings out there. You know, he, he will be with whoever. Yeah, he'll be with whoever. Emotional. I'll give him a 19 in authenticity. See, here we go. Now I'm going to give him a 10. He ain't that dog we thought he was, man. Okay? I, I agree completely with Charles Barkley of what he said about Kevin Durant. He ain't driving the bus. He riding in the back talking loud, but he ain't no dog, man. Come on, man. That's cold-blooded, Jim. Uh, it factor, seven foot, can shoot from anywhere on the field, can handle the ball. He's got the it factor. People, it's someone I pay to see. Uh, and I remember seeing him as a freshman at the University of Texas when he came to Fog Allen. That's one of the greatest things I ever saw with my own eyes. So I give him a 20 in it factor. It factor, I give him a zero. Zero. You know why? Let me tell you something real quick. You know, let me tell you the difference between Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. You know what the difference is? Dale Curry. Let me tell you the difference between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Let me tell you what the difference is. James Jordan Sr. Okay? Mama Durant did a great job with Kevin. Got him into the NBA. But at this stage of the game, Kevin Durant and a whole bunch of these other athletes that was raised by Mama, you really could use some daddy in your life. Right now, one of the problems is you're having daddy issues and you're running into a rough time and you need to be able to have something to resort to, but all you got is the emotions that mama gave you. So, you know, I love you dearly, but. Some right harsh man, man, Uncle Jimmy. What? I'm just saying, man. I'm just Damn, saying. Kevin Durant got daddy issues. Well, he do. I, listen, I mean, look, I, man, it, just imagine if he had a daddy out there cussing a referee out like he have his mama out there. <laughs> He'd get a lot more respect. He had a LeVar ball at home. Hey, there you go. Look at it. All right. Uh, Plus, you'd have more people, you know, if that was your daddy, wouldn't people be trying to hit on your daddy like they'd be trying to hit on your mama? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Mama Durant can get that work. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I got him uh, at a grease fire 70. Jim, you got you like Kevin Durant, but got him a candle. Hey, man, I'm going to keep it real, man. Honestly, it's not that we want too much. It's that we accept too little. What I'm getting from Kevin Durant ain't getting it right now, man. Not that we want too much, it's that we accept too little. I hadn't heard that one. That's pretty good. All right, that's tomorrow. Speaking of wanting. Uh, a, girl, a, a girl told me that one time. <laughs> it's not that I want too much, it's just that I accept too little. She left me. <laughs> All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Raise up your hands.